Hi, this is Laurel. Welcome to Laurel's Real Money Talks. I am so privileged and honored and excited to have with you my mentor of decades. And uh, we have been together. We have owned companies together. We have made millions of dollars together. And it is my privilege to bring to you Bob Proctor. So this podcast is about making money, keeping money, investing money with the team. And none of it would happen if you don't know how to properly think and stop those inherited behaviors that we talk about. So it is my privilege to bring to you my best and most long-term mentor, Bob Proctor. This is going to be part of a two-part series. So this is part one. Stay tuned for part two. Do not miss both sections. Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel. Welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks, the podcast where we're talking about how to make money, how to keep money, how to invest money, and mostly how to do it with a team. I don't believe anyone's self-made. We have team-made millionaires. Anyone who says they do it alone, they are forgetting everyone who helped around them. So today I have a very, very, very special guest. I'm going to have to put lots of Aries. I don't even remember actually the exact age. I feel like Bob has been in my life since I discovered the book Think and Grow Rich, which Dennis Waitley gave me in Canada when I was 17. So started like reading that, but the next like pivotal book was Bob's. It was Born Rich. And I was on a ranch in uh, Northern California getting processed to pieces. And uh, this one wonderful woman, Diane said, you haven't met Bob Proctor, you have to meet Bob Proctor. And right then I met Bob Proctor. So uh, I would contribute a lot of the hundreds and hundreds of millions, Bob, someday I'm going to add it up. I think I've probably made over a billion dollars. I had to have um, just haven't kept track of it all. Just keep jamming and helping people and changing lives. But I owe enormous amount to you. So I just want to thank you. And uh, thank you for being on our podcast today. My pleasure, Laurel. Good to be here. So, Bob, I want to do this podcast, you know, interview style, but I want to do some of the things maybe that people might not just know. Like, where did you make your first million? You know, how did it all begin for you? The first million dollars I made, I earned cleaning floors back in the very early 60s. I was a lost individual. I didn't know which end was up. And I met a man, and he, uh, he introduced me to Think and Grow Rich. That was on the 21st of October, 1961. I have read this every day since then. Every day. So this past October, I was starting my 60th year of reading this. When I met him, I, his name was Ray Stanford. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was uh, 26. I was broke. I was earning $4,000 a year. I owed $6,000. And um, I was a lost soul. I had two months high school. I had no business experience. I was a real successful loser. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And he said, listen, he said, your way's not working. Why don't you try mine? The guy always had money. I didn't know him very well, but he always had money. I always wanted money and I never had any money. And he said, if you do exactly what I tell you, you can have anything you want. Now, I didn't believe that, but I believed he believed it. Now, this is some thinking, and through retrospect, I've come up with this. 
And um, as he told me, he said, he'll spend his whole life putting this book together. He said, I think it would be a prudent move on your part if you spent the rest of your life trying to understand and apply what was in it. Well, that wasn't very appealing to me. I was broke. I mean, I wanted it to happen right now, you know. But I committed that I would do it. And I'd never met anybody like him. He had such confidence. Something like you. I mean, you're loaded with confidence. Well, he was. And I had none. So in one sense, he was very intimidating. In another sense, he was, I was sitting in awe of him, you know. And so I started to do what he said. Now, the first thing, he took me and he said, look it, you got to decide exactly what you want. You got to write it on a card and carry the card in your pocket. I've carried a card in my pocket since that day. Mm -hmm. I wrote that I wanted to have $25,000 in my possession by New Year's Day of 1970. I gave myself a decade to do it. Never thought it would happen. But you know, Laurel, I, I learned something I think everybody could benefit from. A lot of people set a goal of getting out of debt. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to get out of debt. But I learned something. If your goal is to get out of debt, you'll probably stay in debt forever. And, that again and again. my goal wasn't to get out of debt. My goal was to earn or get $25,000. Now, that was a pipe dream at the time because I didn't believe it. But I've come to the conclusion, if you write a goal down, you don't have to believe it. If you write it out and you carry it with you and you read it often enough, you're going to start to believe it. If you read a lie often enough, you'll believe it. <laughs> and that's what I did. And it wasn't too long until I had the $25,000. And I never looked back. I just kept going. I love that you brought that up because I am teaching that so heavily right now, which is so many people, again, like you said, want to get out of debt versus what they want. So... How do you apply that in the digital age? Because you and I, uh, well, because you taught me, here's where your books are, right? Hold your book back up. Here's where a lot of the next generation's book is, right? Mm -hmm. It's right here. So talk a little bit about the writing principle, right? Just what it does to your memory. Your, I'm going to say your DNA is the way I teach it, kind of your way, what you taught me. But, and, and all the workbooks that you put together that I spent amazing hours going through from your goal achiever to your think and grow rich. You, I mean, you, you name it, the science of getting rich. My gosh, how many hours and, you know, years did we study that? Mm -hmm. But there's something about the application of handwriting that I think is missing in a lot of people because they're doing it all here, not here. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you think that's kind of transitioned and what you think about it? That's a good point. It's a very good subject. And I think what you have to do, you have to go back and ask yourself, where does it start? It starts in your mind. Mm -hmm. I really believe success is 5% strategy, 95% mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, the fanciest strategies in the world. If the mind's not set, you're screwed. It's not going to happen. And when you write something, writing causes thinking. And when you're thinking of your goal, you've got a picture of your goal. And then what you're doing is you're painting the picture in words. You're writing it out. Now, when you do that, you're impregnating those images into cells in your brain. Your brain is an electronic switching station. As you activate those cells in your brain, it sets up a vibration in your body. Like for me to lift my arm up and down. Prior to my arm going up and down, I had activated a group of cells in my brain that enabled me to lift my arm up and down. Like if a person uh, has a stroke, this blood stops going to the 
cells in the brain, and those cells die. Now, they have found through exercise of moving the body, they can activate new cells, educate new cells. But the cells must move for the body to move. Well, when you write the goal, you're impregnating it into a group of cells in your brain. Every time you touch the goal card, every time you think of the goal, your body moves into that vibration. Now, you can go back to these things, your phone. If I take my phone and your number's in here and I touch send, bang, doesn't matter where you are, you and I are connected, aren't we? We can send our pictures back and forth. We can send books back and forth. We can look at each other while we're talking. Doesn't matter where you are. You could be in Singapore. I could be in New York. We're together. And that's because we're on the same frequency. Now, while we're on the same frequency, all kinds of magic happens. We've got to get on the frequency that the good we desire is on. This is beyond where most people look at it, but nothing is created or destroyed. Everything's already here. Everything's already here. The way to make these cell phones was always here. It took somebody to move their brain onto that frequency, alter their perception of who they were and what they were doing. And as you get on the frequency of the good you desire, it starts to move toward you and you start to move towards it. It's like magic. Now, I like these and I certainly use them and I put them to good use. But I've never lost the value of sitting down with a pen and a card and writing out what I want. Very, very valuable. We don't want to get away from the pen and the pencil and the mind. Bob, um, I'm going to let you share the screen just because I want to give some context to the subconscious mind. I think uh, it's interesting in this, I call it the COVID coma era. How many people are, you you know, I say taking advantage of COVID to live in a coma and not do anything and stand for low and unemployment versus, you know, what I'm seeing is the greatest transition of wealth in my lifetime. I've never been in a more volatile market. It's worldwide. Everyone's shut down. Everyone's doing this. Who would have known that we would have, you know, lost our airplanes and hotel bills and all of that to uh, be here today. So the subconscious mind, I want to, sh- I want you, this is so pivotal. And when you draw it again, the pen, the paper, it is remarkable. If you want to show a screen and sure. I just want to some context to the podcast and those listening, if you have never seen Bob Proctor do this, it is uh, his sick man. And I love it. Get a pen and paper. Let that circle represent your mind. Let this represent your body. Now the mind is divided into two parts. The top half is the conscious mind. The bottom half is the subconscious mind. Now, there's a power flowing into your consciousness all the time. It never stops. And that power that flows in just is. It is neither negative or positive. You make it what it is. There is a power flowing to and through us. You can actually photograph this power leaving your body. Now, when this power flows into our consciousness, we have the ability to build images. And the image could be of what you want. We'll say that's the goal. You don't get what you want. You get what you desire. The want has to be turned over to the subconscious mind. Now, the subconscious mind, as you impress that want upon it, it turns into a desire. That desire must be expressed with and through the body, and that produces a result. But here's the beautiful truth. 
The subconscious mind is actually universal intelligence. So you see, it's in you, but it's omnipresent. When you plant the idea in your subconscious mind, the entire universe is affected by that because that is on a frequency. And just the same as if Laura could be in Singapore and I'm in Toronto, I can get her on my phone, I can see her and I can communicate with her. The good you want is already here. You've got to get in harmony with it. And you do that when you plant the idea in your subconscious mind. Now, the subconscious is also the emotional mind. So you've got to get emotionally involved with the good you desire. That alters the vibration that you're in, and the vibration you're in is going to dictate how you act. So when you get emotionally involved with what good you want or you desire, you move your body into a vibration. So it starts out with a want. You can choose it. You impress it upon your subconscious mind, which is universal intelligence. It's difficult for us in our little thinking to believe that there's a part of me that's a part of everything, a part of everyone. Everything operates on frequencies. There's a law of vibration. And that vibration covers the whole world. The secret talked about the law of attraction. Well, the law of attraction is a secondary law. There's only one law to deal with, and that's vibration. So the picture that you hold in your mind controls the vibration you're in. Then that dictates what you attract into your life. And it comes from wherever it is because you're on the same frequency as the good you desire. Now, that was a big lesson in a short period of time. I don't know if I confused you or if I got the idea across. So apply this to some situations in people's lives, right? Let's let's go back to uh, the one you brought up just a little bit ago. When people say they're in debt, right? And I've been teaching this forever. In fact, everything since I've met every workbook that Gina helped me with, you know, from our expression of your power, all of that, all I show in any of our plans is income and assets because I don't want them thinking about debt or liability. But if you think of so many people, maybe give a little lesson in Getting out of debt is never a goal. And the wealthiest people in the world use good debt. They actually leverage debt. And that's very, I go into a whole sophisticated, really investing strategy around using debt, especially now since, you know, our grand United States is giving 1.9 trillion out. So how would people that are, that is their goal is to get out of debt. How would they use that? And if you want to move the little grid back or just speak to that. Well, I think what a person wants to do, I always talk about, if a person's in debt, let's say I was in debt, I owed, I was earning 4000 I owed 6000 You're going to set up a debt repayment account so you don't even have to think about it. You want to get away from mentally dealing with debt. Because if that's what you're dealing with, if that's what you're emotionally involved with, that's what you're going to attract. And you'll hear people say it, I paid this bill and another one popped up. Well, of course it'll pop up. You're attracting the damn things. You've got to get rid of the idea. So, You take and put the screen up, Scott, and let's look. You build the goal in your consciousness. You get emotionally involved in the goal, and you act on it. And all you think about is the goal. You've got a system set up where the debt's taken care of automatically. Take a percentage of your income. And um, I tell a story in the Born Rich book how to do that. Sit down, you take a percentage of your income, put it in a debt repayment account so that it's automatic and you forget about it. Don't give any thought to it. That's not the good debt that you were talking about. This is a destructive debt that destroys people. It destroys their creativity. It destroys their ambition. 
and there's no motivation. Fall in love with the goal. Stay in focused on the goal. Now, that's what I did with the $25,000. And pretty soon, I started to think of earning money. You say, well, weren't you thinking of that before? No, I wasn't thinking of I'd go to work. I thought of work to earn money. And uh, I was thinking of the debt. I was worked to earn the money to pay the debt. Well, I heard people talking about earning money. And because I heard them talking about earning it, I started to think about it. Somebody said, there's good money in cleaning floors. I said, I'm not proud of clean floors. I borrowed $1,000. I got a bucket and a mop. And I started to clean floors. Do you know, in less than five years, Laurel, I was cleaning floors in Toronto, Montreal, Boston, Cleveland, Atlanta, and London, England. I was earning money all over the world. And while I was sleeping, money was coming to me. And you know that you can earn more money in your sleep than you can spend when you're awake. But not if you're thinking of debt. If a person has debts, they've got to set up an automatic debt repayment account. And a portion of their income goes into that, and you don't even spend any time thinking about it. It's all automatic. Now, I tell people, if they're in debt, <laughs> this turned into a discussion on debt, I guess. Um, if they're in debt, the people that they owe the money to us are responsible for the debt as you are. I tell people that. And so if I've committed that I'm going to pay you more money than I could afford to pay you, and I start to understand I've got to correct that and go and tell you I can't give you that much money. This is all I can give you, and this is all I'm going to give you. But I'll, I'll pay it, and I'll pay the whole thing but I'm going to do it in an orderly way. And so you've got to get your head out of the debt and focus on the earning money. And if you just focus on it, you're going to start to attract ways to do it. Perfect. Bob, I'm going to go back. I'm going to, so thank you for that. I did want to uh, just, again, you're a master at how to teach people. And I think well, most of the world's struggling with that topic. So let's put that aside. I want to come back to you. So what, tell us about, you know, everyone right now that has lost their job, come to the internet and you don't, you do know, I mean, how many people are building, becoming authors all, you know, it's not all of a sudden, but there's a lot more than we've ever seen ever automated webinars, yeah. all these courses and all these things. Talk about your trajectory. I mean, yours was very different. None of this stuff and digital marketing all existed. Tell us about your first course, how you transitioned from the cleaning floors, which made you millions of dollars to this personal development teaching, sharing uh, this insight with the world. How did that transition happen? Well, I started by listening to Earl Nightingale, and I fell in love with his voice and everything he was saying. And I would listen to his recordings, and I had never heard anybody talk like that. I had grown up in a very poor area. It was all problems, you know, struggling, everybody's struggling. And um, I started to listen to him, and he introduced me to a whole new world, the world I live in today. And one day I said, you know, I'd love to meet him. I was holding a sales meeting when I said it in the cleaning company. And this guy that was there working with us, he said, no, you wouldn't. He said, if you'd like to meet him, you'd meet him. So I thought, damn, he's right. Now, I was in Toronto that day. And it was early in the morning. We had the sales meeting. So I went and I found the phone number for Earl Nightingale in Chicago. And I phoned and I left a message. He starts all of his recordings. Hello, this is Earl Nightingale. <laughs> and I'd listened to 10,000s of his recordings. Well, I phoned Chicago and he wasn't there. They said, uh, Mr. Nightingale's not in, but if you leave your number, I'm sure he'll phone you. So I left my number and I went back to work. 
A little while later, somebody said, hey, Bob, you're wandering on the phone. I pick up the phone. Hello, this is Earl Nightingale. Well, I damn near dropped the phone. I started to hyperventilate. And uh, I got talking to him, and I got an appointment with him. And I flew to Chicago. Or he was at 333 North Michigan. And I had an hour with him. When I left, at the end of the hour, I said, Earl, what's the big deal? I mean, what's the real secret? He says, there isn't any secret, Bob. He says, uh, simply a matter of the deciding what you love to do, and then dedicate your life to it. He said, the problem with most people is they never figure out what they love to do. Well, I got excited as hell sitting there then, because I knew exactly what I'd love to do. I'd love to do what he was doing. I want to do it with him. Now, I was up to here in business. I had business all over the place. And uh, I made a decision right there and then that I was going to do that. That was in 1966. 1968, I was his vice president of sales. Left the other company. I went from earning a million to I took a job at $18,000 a year. Five years later, I was earning 33000 I was prepared to pay them to let me work there. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to work with him. I wanted to learn how to do what he was doing better. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've ever done. I have kept doing that ever since then. That's mm-hmm. how I get into this business. And so I fell in love with it. So, Bob, what was your first piece of work? What's the first thing you produced on recording? And you were you, born rich. Did, did you were born rich. So, so talk a little bit like how that came about. And the reason I want this kind of interview from just you is you have been amazingly successful for decades and decades. And you and I know the processes. I'm going to say the same. But there's this confusion with all of these people in this era of COVID of how do you transition? How do you pivot? How do you do what you want? And I'd say Oh, well, God, you listen, forget the COVID, forget the problem, forget the vaccine, forget all that shit. Listen, you've got to focus on what you want. When I left Nightingale Conant in 1973, I'd been there for five years, okay? I sat down and I wrote out a goal. I'm going to build a company that was by myself. I was sitting in a den in a house on Maplewood Lane in Glenview, Illinois. And I wrote out, I'm going to build a company that operates all over the world. That was in 1973. Mm-hmm. Last Tuesday night, Laurel, I was watching some TV with Linda. I wasn't really. She was watching it. I went to watch it for a few minutes with her. And I got up to leave. And Mikey Steller, who was our chief operating officer in our company, phoned me. She said, Bob, you'll never guess. We were doing a promotion. And we had 40-some thousand people who had registered. And they were from every country in the world. We reached every country. Now, some of them weren't even countries. They're places that aren't countries. We were in every one. Now, that was in 1973. I wrote that. It was last week I hit it. Well done. Now, Congratulations. what happened in between then? And now all kinds of stuff has happened. But I've never lost my focus of what I wanted to do. you got to stay focused. Listen, I could spoil your week if I tell you some things that have happened since then. You've got to put up with that. That's all part of the deal. The tough times are the good times. That's what strengthens you. You don't learn from winning. You learn when you lose. That toughens you up. That's why I brought up the question, because so many people are using it as an excuse. And I think more... Oh, uh, listen. They focused our... You're either going to focus on the problem or you're going to focus on the goal. That's why I continue to write my goal on a card and carry it in my pocket. If you're going to focus on the problem, you're going to create more of it. You're getting emotionally involved in it. Mm-hmm. I read something the other day that was pretty good. It said, if you have a problem, just focus 
on solving the problem and forget all the drama that's hooked up to it. I thought, mm. damn, that's it. Now, that isn't exactly the way it was written, but that's the essence of it. There's so much drama with every problem. Forget that drama. Focus on the problem. Listen, I'm going to be 87 in a couple of months. I've got as much energy as, as you have. I got as much energy as somebody that's 37. I don't spend any time thinking about my age. About I, People ask me how I stay so young. I don't hang around old people. I hang around young people. I have a big goal, and I'm always working. And every time a problem comes up, I've trained myself, what's the good in this? You see, there's we know laws. We talk about law of attraction. Well, there's a law of uh, polarity. That law decrees that everything has an opposite. I'm sitting here at a desk. The desk isn't very far from the floor. So it's not too far from the top of the desk to the floor. It's not too far from the floor to the top of the desk. If it's 50 feet from that wall to that wall, it has to be 50 feet from that wall to that wall. If a problem is a big mother, well, then you've got a great big opportunity. What are you looking at? The problem or the opposite? It's the opposite side of the same thing. There'd be no inside the studio if there isn't an outside to it. If you've got a big problem, you want to thank God because you've got a big opportunity. But you're only going to see it if you take your sights off the problem and look at the opportunity. Do you know that I am doing more business right now than I have ever done in my life, right in the center of this great problem that the world's talking about? Yep. And one of the things, too, I, I made up this coin phrase a while back, like when I was on Dr. Phil, um, I was solving a problem that we didn't have. As an example, we set up all our tech to have this immersion of, you know, hundreds of thousands of leads. We spent a lot of money setting up a problem that didn't arrive because guess what Dr. Phil followers typically do? They are sitting on the couch having free therapy which means they do not really want help. They don't want to opt into any recordings. They really don't want to buy a book. They don't want to read a book. They just want once a day for once an hour to just sit on the couch. And being entertained. And be entertained. And that's actually what he told me why I left. He said, Laurel, you care too much about the education that people get it than the entertainment value that we're going to bring. And that was it. And we high-fived and I left. So uh, I love that you brought up that problem. I want to go back to you. When was the first... And just totally congratulations on getting that goal uh, last mm-hmm. week. Knowing like how difficult and how, I, sh- uh, I shouldn't say difficult, the uh, the amassed thinking that had to go into getting to every country and every uh, person. So congratulations. Like what a huge achievement. Huge achievement. So Born Rich, talk about that. How did that come? Was that from listening to Earl? And like, how did that kind of come in and, and through you? Like, this is my first body of work. Uh, you were born rich. Well, I had been studying, studying. I never stopped studying. I, was st- I study early every morning. I mean, I study all the time. And in 1984, I wrote Born Rich. Now, I don't type, you know, plunk, 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 maybe on an email. But if I'm writing a book, I literally write the book. And it's a funny thing about paper, Laurel. When you write on paper, paper swells after a while. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it actually swells. Well, I had the book written. It was about that thick in a file folder. And I had just finished it. And I left it in the back of a cab. I couldn't tell you the color of the cab, the name of the cab, nothing. Linda, my wife, said, well, how come you're not upset? And I said, you know, it's so bad, it's got to be good. And I thought the book probably wasn't any good. So I started all over and I wrote it over again. Well... 
read books all over the world in I don't know how many different languages. And that was in 1984. 1988, I decided to teach what was in the book. So we put a lot of money into it, and we brought some of the best camera people in the world, best directors. We had all live direction. There's big trucks outside the hall where we were working, and we videotaped it. And it was all broadcast quality stuff. Well, that thing's still found on the internet, but we recorded it, and it went all over the world. And that was really the base. What I did was I sat down in writing Born Rich, and I I put together the steps that I thought I took to get to where I was in 1984. And I thought the first thing was money. And so I put me in money. That was the start of the book. And I had to develop a different relationship with it. I think maybe I heard you talking saying that money goes where it's invited and it stays where it's welcome. Well, I never invited it and it wasn't very welcome because I'd get it and it'd be gone. You know, I didn't know what the hell. I didn't understand money at all. And so I put it in different phases, and that was the chapters. And that's how the book was written. I just sat down, and I wrote how many phases there are. And I think there's 10 chapters in there, and that's the way it worked. I've never looked back from that, you know. Well, and it's your core work. Like my core work, I mean, I did a bunch of, I'd say, bouncing around on other things. Like I look back at my first official book, right? Like you and I in 2002 did Expression of Your Power, um, which is, was our CD set and workbook, which still to this day, you know, our you know students at our big table love it. But the first book book was with Jay Conrad Levinson, Gorilla, you know, Gorilla Wealth, which took a year to even get him to pay attention to me, sort of like, you know, same advice. If you wanted the book done, you'd go after it and, you know, you watch me go do it. So from that book and that original work, then I literally three months later, McGraw-Hill called and said, we want you to write three books on The Millionaire Maker. And I'm like, I don't know how to write a book. And I said, you know, your book's all here. So same thing. If you lose it, you haven't lost anything on paper or recordings. It's all here. You just, re- you know, go again. What had you do your next body of work? Like, what was the next thing you produced? And then I know you did Science of Getting Rich, which was someone else's. But the way you licensed that was genius. So talk a little bit about your progression. Uh, and the reason I want you to do this for those of you that are listening on the podcast is there are so many of you that are struggling with and paying people fortunes to write a book, to do an eight-week webinar, which is similar to everything Bob's been doing since 1960. So I want to just do the comparison of the struggle that so many people are in to produce content when it's just, like you said, it comes to you and through you. And don't you, and I'm going to say, I see a lot of people, they won't produce which means nothing else is going to come. It's just like they're so clogged and congested with the content that they've been given because they're just scared to produce. So talk about your next kind of level of production and how that how that's worked for you because it's made you, you know, probably well, billions, billions of dollars. First we did the book, Born Rich, and then we did the video. We made the video series, Born Rich, which became very, very big in the marketplace all over the world. Well, I did the winner's image and I did the goal achiever, I made programs rather than books. See, I think everybody's got a book in them. They've got an idea. They want to express it, break it into parts. And that's the chapters. I'm in a number of books out there now, but I always just took it a chapter at a time. If I have an idea I want to put across, the idea, you break it into parts Mm -hmm. and write the chapters. Just write the names of the chapters down. And then... When you're doing it, what you're doing is you're painting a picture in words, 
we took the science of getting rich was somebody else's book, but I turned it into a program. It was Wallace Waddle's book. But it became a very successful program because I was teaching it. And so what I did is I took and I put it in package and packaged it all up. So I was teaching somebody else's book and I became very, very successful. I think everybody's got a book in them. I just, yeah. It's a matter of developing the confidence to know that you've got something worthwhile to communicate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first thing you have to develop is the confidence to know that you do have something in you that's very worthwhile to communicate. And then you've got to develop the confidence to uh, to get it out there and execute it. Now, I've got a few books out now, but The Born Rich was really the, the first book, and it was the pattern that I followed on everything from then on. I just broke it down into parts. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful part, if you break it into parts, you can write you can write on chapter seven and then go back and write on chapter two because you're, you're painting a picture in words that you've already got in your head. This was part one of part two of a podcast with Bob Proctor. You're on Laurel's Real Money Talks. Stay tuned and do not miss what is coming next. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmeyer, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week. We'll be right back.